Welcome to the Parent Podcast. This is a youth pastor's perspective for parents of teens. Every week sharing content that is helpful for me in youth ministry, but I can see also being very helpful in the home as you guys are on the front lines of raising your teenagers uh, to be serious disciples of Jesus this week. Um, I'm pretty excited because uh, Julie and Andre Stickney, who are just a phenomenal couple um, in our church. Andre's on our leadership team. Julie has been a teacher uh, for a very long time. Andre has been a counselor. Uh, Not only that, they have teenagers um, actually at our church. And so they have a tremendous perspective and they kind of walked me through what it looks like to parent uh, with years of experience in both counseling as a licensed counselor and as a a teacher in a middle school, um, as well as like practitioners in their home raising teenagers today who are uh, really awesome kids, honestly, in our youth group. So it's to hear this content. All right, Stickneys, thanks for joining us. Of course. Um, Thanks for having us. Give me a little background for those who may not know you super well on who you are and in particular your experience with teenagers. Start? Sure. Uh, well, we are Andre and Julie Stickney, and we just celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, although we have been together off and on since we were 12, um, so it's a long time, a lot of history. We have uh, three kids. We have um, Gabe, who's 15, going to be a sophomore. Hannah's uh, 13, going to be an 8th grader, and Leighton is 10, going to be a 5th grader. Um, And I'm a teacher, full-time teacher, 17 years, and Andre's a therapist. Um, We've been at RISE for five and a half years, so. Yeah, just a little um, background on myself. So I work as a mental health therapist up in Vancouver, and I work with um, youth and young adults mainly, and I do a lot of family work as well. Um, So definitely just have a huge passion in trying to help families um, just kind of heal um, and just better understand each other and the challenges that each individual in the family brings and how it can just kind of create conflict and just um, different dynamics that we don't often talk about. Um, that can be brought together in therapy and kind of healed some of those things. Mm, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, so obviously you're both in the world of uh, teens and really deep into that, um, even in your home, but uh, you guys approach parenting with a somewhat unique style. Uh, would you be willing to kind of talk me through that, like what that is and uh, some of the terminology? Well, I mean, I would say our style is um, really kind of owner-focused. We just really want our kids to see themselves as part of the process in all areas of just the role that they play, that um, they uh, feel like they're doing things not just for us, that they're doing things for the family or they're doing things for their future or for themselves. Um, And so, you know, when we have systems in place in the house that it's not like they're not doing anything because we just want them to do it they're doing it because they know that that's the role that they play that we're all kind of in this together that's i would say a big part of our parenting philosophy yeah and and also just keeping in mind um 
that their faith and who they become as followers of Jesus goes beyond the few years that we have them in the home. And so really helping them understand um, how to take the faith and make it their own, that their faith in Jesus is not mom and dad's faith, it's not my church's faith, it's my own faith, so what do I do with that? And so really trying to help them better understand what does that look like for yourself. And I think there's some different things that me and Julie have tried. Not all of it's successful, but being willing to kind of adjust our parenting style as each kid is drastically different. And one parenting style for Gabe will not work with Layton. <laughs> and learning how to adapt the strategies that we use for each kid. But really the overall focus is how do we help create a strong disciple of Jesus in our home. Oh man, that's awesome. Um, so to really uh, clarify this, um, what would be some contrasting ways of parenting, maybe approaches that are a little more stringent or, you know, like give me the extremes here and kind of define it for me. Yeah, I mean like top-down parenting, right, where the parents are the, you know, the rulers and the kids are, you know, under their authority and everything. Um, I mean, that's a pretty common style and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but, um, you know, and then there's the, my kid is my best friend <laughs> philosophy where there's no authority anywhere. <laughs> um, you know, and that, uh, that definitely doesn't work because, um, I feel like then you've kind of breached the, you know, who's in charge at all kind of system. Um, but yeah, no, this is really more about uh, coming alongside, you know, our kids instead of, you know, fully placing ourselves above them or placing ourselves below them even, which, you know, like I said, you see sometimes. Um, this is just about coming alongside and making decisions together and talking about things together and just realizing that we're all in this together, um, that it's, uh, it's not our way or the highway as much as possible. I mean, of course, there are circumstances where that, you know, happens, but um, yeah, it's just probably a bit more open than some of the other styles. Yeah, and I think a, a big part, and I know Julie's got a, a good example of this, but I think it's really easy for us as parents um, where we can, we can over-parent. And I think kind of you often see that maybe the, the top-down approach where we don't allow our children often to have a say in some of the decisions that need to be made in the house or we don't allow them to be a contributing member where it is um, our way or no way. Um, but that can often be seen as the only way of over-parenting, but really also understanding that over-parenting can often mean being involved in ways that we shouldn't always be involved in parenting. And maybe you could give a good example of kind of your role in your teacher and how you've seen that over-parenting. Oh yeah, I mean, we see that all the time in schools. Um, I mean, when I started teaching 17 years ago, I didn't see it as much, but um, as the years have gone on, I definitely feel like we see it more, you know, call it helicopter parenting or the new term is snowplow parenting, yeah. right? Where you have the absolutely no barriers in the way for the children. But um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's 
getting involved in your kids' education too much to the point where you're micromanaging them, where they're, I mean, we have, I have parents who I know have done their kids' homework, you know, or <laughs> written their essays for them, and I mean, yeah, that's probably over-parenting. That might be taking it a step too far, you know. Um, I feel like when you're talking about teenagers, uh, they should be able to contact the teacher about their grades or go to the teacher and talk to them face-to-face -face, about grades. Or, you know, if they have a problem at youth group, then if they're a teenager, they should be able to go talk to you. You know, I just think that, like, empowering them to, like, have a voice um, is really what we're talking about here is um, uh, just kind of the model. And, and so, yeah, there is over-parenting, there's under-parenting, you know, um, and we see that a lot in schools, of course, too, so. That's so good. Um, I'll tell a quick story. Uh, I kind of lost it on a kid one time in youth group. Like, he was just uh, being really defiant in our small group. And um, I, I was like, dude, I'm just done. You're out of our group. And he was like shocked, like, what? I was like, you're out of our group. Take a break. <laughs> and he's like just so blown away that I was mean because I'm usually too nice maybe. And so he walked away and then he came back. He was super mad. And uh, I remember getting a phone call afterwards. You know, I, I know the parent, obviously. And yeah. it's like, they were I was chatting with him. And he was like, yeah, he's going to have to deal with that. It's on yeah. him. Yeah. You know, even if you were too mean, like, he's, he's got to make that decision and walk with you. And <laughs> I remember getting a phone call from him. And, and kid worked it out with me. It was incredible. That's and it's, so that's the kind of thing we're talking about yeah. here. Like, literally, the kid takes ownership. Yeah. What would you guys say... Uh, you know, how does ownership, is kind of the term I keep hearing, mm -hmm. um, play into this style of parenting? Well, I mean, if you're gonna, if you want your kids to take ownership, you have to understand natural consequences. Um, because if they're gonna, if they're gonna have maybe a little more control than a lot of parents want to give their kids, then they're gonna fall, they're gonna fail, they're gonna hit bumps, and you have, they, and they need to be able to understand, like, what's a natural consequence for, those decisions or you know that that thing you wanted to do that maybe didn't go so well you know that maybe as parents we want to intervene on and be like well but you know they have to learn that um, and and so natural consequences are a big part of understanding what it means to push your kids towards being an owner I think in maybe another way to kind of think about this as parents and I think when I was in grad school I think one of the things that stood out the most when we were talking about parenting and how do you help families who are struggling with the whole parenting thing is when you think of the amount of time that you actually have with your kids is pretty small and especially as they become teens and the amount of time that we as parents have to influence our kids. So if you factor out, this is a little different in our current context with COVID, but traditionally being in school all day long you throw in sports events, you throw time with their friends, you throw in the time that you're at work, the time that you're on a business trip or whatever it is, when you really calculate it, the amount of time that we have with our kids is pretty small. And so the time that we do spend with our kids need to be meaningful. And not just meaningful, but during those times, and kind of what Julie's talking about a little bit, is we gotta help our kids facilitate, well, it's our job as parents to facilitate when our kids fail. So kind of the term would be facilitate. It's our job to facilitate failure. And part of that means is that we have to allow our kids to take risks, which in our current context, in our current world, it's hard for us as parents 
because we want to be protective of our kids and we don't want our kids to fail and we don't want our kids to get in trouble at school. But so much of life happens and it's our response in failure that really begins develop, to develop resiliency. And if we've never given our kids an opportunity to build resiliency or to fail because we're always there to stop that failure or to protect them, they can't grow from that. Um, so I guess that would be kind of my big challenge is how do we facilitate facilitate failure in our kids? Yeah. Well, and understanding that their success or failure is not your success or failure. I think that that's like really trying to like remove yourself from the equation, um, especially with teenagers and start like really like pushing them towards independence to being their own person, um, you know, to having that ownership and, and not projecting what we want on them, what we want for them, what we want them to do. You know, so. I've got a great example of this. This is something that I learned fairly recent. So my oldest had turned 15 back in November and kind of talking about what Julie, were, what I wanted for him and my expectation for him was that at 15, you go get your permit because that's what me and your mom did. And that's part of growing up is you learn how to drive and it's the next step. Sure. And I was really kind of hitting it pretty hard with him and he had taking the test and it didn't go so well a couple times and I almost saw that as a direct reflection on me and realizing whoa whoa I had to kind of step back a little bit and say this is his timing and when he went out and did take his test you know we're driving around now so if you see us driving around be leery I have a student driver with me <laughs> but he's done it on his own time and it's really allowed him to be more comfortable and it took the failure where he's like, I'm not going to fail a third time. Like, I've got this. And he studied and he did it on his own time. And I had to go back as a parent and kind of apologize and take some ownership for maybe um, the way that I was coming off towards him. And I had to apologize and ask for that. And I think that's hard for us as parents sometimes is to take ownership when we've kind of screwed up or we've dropped the ball in our role as parents. And that's just another great way to facilitate failure is when they can see us making amends for when we messed up. Man, actually, I, I don't, I don't want to cut you off too soon, but this is, that's a really powerful story. And I, you know, I'm obviously a very young parent, learning parent, and even as you say this, like, to be perfectly honest, I, in the, you know, the little time I've had raising Ollie and, and our, my other ones, I get really scared of that. Um, I think the concept that Ollie would fail terrifies me. And, uh, and all these emotions are being um, brought up as you speak. So I'm, I'm sure I speak for more parents than uh, as well, you know, than myself here. Um, talk to me a little about why we might gravitate towards this authoritarian style or even the, the friendship style before we move on. Because I think there's more under the surface going on. You know, you talk about it reflecting on you. What are those emotions? Why do parents do that? Yeah, I, I think I, I kind of look at this question kind of from like a counseling perspective. So much of who we are and what we do is based off of our own past experiences. Good, bad, or indifferent. And if we've experienced something, um, it's great to not have to experience something else and to learn vicariously through somebody else. 
as parents, if we had a really tough experience growing up and there's some things that we want to protect ourselves or protect our children from, that's completely natural. And much of that should be, we should be protecting our children from. But it's learning to understand what are some of these things that I may have to say yes to that I wouldn't traditionally for myself have, would have said yes to. And what I know what me and Julie have tried to do is we've tried to become yes parents. Like, we're going to say yes to most things. And our kids have learned that. Our kids still always ask. And I said, what's my answer going to be? Yes. Because we want our kids to experience new things and to try new things. And sometimes we've said yes to some things and we've looked at each other like, maybe we shouldn't have said yes to that. And part of that is because of our own experiences growing up and some of the things that we've done when we've been in certain situations that wasn't always the best direction to go. And we've had to learn some pretty hard consequences because of our own past experiences. But we don't want those to cloud and filter in a negative way the experiences that our kids could have that could be completely different, that could be a huge learning experience, that could be a huge way to... Um, develop their discipleship as a follower of Jesus that maybe we wouldn't have done. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I think I think that I think it's you know either a complete pendulum sw- uh, away from how you were raised. Sometimes I think we see that a lot too. Or you know, or you do what you know, um, and so it's hard not to project. Um, that into your parenting um, as well and I think you know understanding like I find myself doing that with Gabe right now now that he's 15 in high school and all that and I think of the things I was doing and I'm like and so I'll just straight up ask him things and he'll look at me like I'm crazy like (laughs) why would I do that mom and I'm like okay that's a me issue you know that I'm taking what I might have done you know made poor choices back then um, and like expecting he's going to do the same. And um, I'm really learning a lot right now that that's not fair and that's not, uh, that's not kind of what we want for him. You know, I don't want him to think I'm constantly going to be questioning yeah. him. You know, I, it's about trust, you know, at that point. And it's also keeping in mind that like our role as parents is to launch our children into adulthood. And with that means our kids are going to have to have some freedom to fall during that launching process, which usually means as parents, we're going to have to take some risks of our own that's going to allow our kids to kind of launch. And sometimes they come back and sometimes we learn something the hard way as parents, or maybe it's reeling things in and maybe it's be saying, not saying yes to certain things that maybe in the past that we, were, we would have been learning how to adapt to the strategies that we've used. I want to get into your um, experience in your uh, both your careers, but actually before that, is there, a, is there a chance you guys be willing to give me some practical examples? You've shared a few, um, maybe even from younger years uh, that the kids are growing up, but like what, what are some examples? Like look, where can I say yes that I wouldn't normally say yes? And where might I need to like actually say no, you know, like, what are those boundaries, um, uh, if you have any that come to mind? Um, I think for me, I would say it's 
definitely those opportunities where your kids can get an opportunity to experience something new. Um, and that can mean so many different things for different people because everyone's kids a little bit different than the things that are getting involved in. But anything that allows your kid to be stretched in a new way, and sometimes that means that they've failed in something before and they're unwilling to try that new thing again. Um, I guess I'll just use the example that Gabe gave yesterday about being on the river. So Gabe was out <laughs> with some friends, you know, and he came home and we were up with some friends on a boat a couple of weeks ago and he's asked to try wakeboard. He's like, no, no, I'm not wakeboard. I can't get up. I can't get up because he'd failed in the past. And then yesterday he's like, he comes home. He's like, I got up on the wakeboard. I got up on the wakeboard. And I was like, I, I didn't think you were going to try it again. He's like, no, I had to try it. <laughs> you know, but he was willing to try something new. And as parents are like, do I want my son out on the river without his parents? <laughs> you know, with other parents, we don't always know what they're doing. Like, no, that's terrifying to some level you know, but to say, hey, that's part of the freedom and part of the idea of saying yes, like, yes, we're going to go let you do that. And also knowing that Gabe's demonstrated, his history indicates that he's a pretty responsible person. Okay. And so as parents, we have to be mindful of what does history indicate with our child? And sometimes that history is not always positive, but what ways do we allow them to create a new history? If people only took in my history... I'd be in trouble, you know, but I've had to create a new history, not only with my spouse, but with my kids as a parent. I've screwed up as a parent. I've screwed up as a spouse, but I've created new patterns and I've created a new history that says my wife trusts me in this area. My kids trust me to be there for them emotionally, physically, spiritually. And a lot of that stuff means we're having to take risks. Well, yeah, and I think worry, you have to, I mean, I struggle a lot with worry, um, you know, as a parent especially, worry's always been a big battle for me and anxiety, um, and I just, uh, you know, I had to grow my own faith to deal with that, because I couldn't hold my kids back because I was worried. That wouldn't be fair to them, that, in my, that wouldn't be best for them. Um, and so as I've kind of dealt with my own worry and continually like give it over to God, you know, every day there's something that comes up usually that the kids, you know, they're, they're going all different directions nowadays, you know, cause they're, they're older and I just constantly have to give my worry over to God. You know, I mean, of course I wanted to say, no, Gabe, you can't go do that because I'm going to be worried that something's going to happen and I won't be there, you know, but I had to just let that go, you know, give it to God and like, let them live their lives. That's so good. Um, I want to hear a little bit about, um, from your perspective, um, maybe we'll start with you, Andre, like your perspective as a counselor in particular. Um, would you be willing to put on your counselor hat and kind of <laughs> talk us through the, the, the cost benefit analysis of this approach? Yeah, I, I think oftentimes, and I, I work a lot with with families and parents of teens and just young adults still living in the home on how do we have conversations that lead somewhere. And what I mean by that is how do we, oftentimes conflict within the home is caused by stress. And everyone brings their own stress into the home. And so I often try to help and facilitate conversations with families in a way where the stress is at a at a manageable level that allows conversations to happen. And the reality of it is with, with teens, 
teens are often doing things or put themselves in a situation that causes stress for parents. And oftentimes when we're in a stressful situation or we're trying to parent um, in a stressful situation, it's hard for us to kind of tap into that part of our brain that allows us to be um, just efficient in our words. And it's often um, short, abrupt answers. This is often where someone says, hey, can I do something? Like, no. <laughs> you know, and or we often get into the fix-it mode as parents. You can't do that because of this. Or why did you do that? Let me tell you how to do this. And really, it's how do we have those conversations in a way that um, we can be just a little bit more mellow that allows for conversations to happen. Um, so much of um, communicating amongst families is not necessarily what we say, it's the delivery, it's, it's how we're saying things. It's our tone, it's our posture. Um, and teens especially, like, we, I don't think we give teens enough credit um, in regards to how the word is emotionally intelligent they are. Like, yes, they spend a lot of time on their phones, but kids are more aware of their surroundings than I think we give them credit for. Wow. And they can really tap into and read when me and Julie aren't doing well. Our kids are aware of that, mm -hmm. you know? And my kids know when I'm being harsh or dad's mad, he's yelling. <laughs> like, I wasn't yelling. Oh, actually, I was. And so really, I have to come to a situation, and this is a balance. Like as I, can, I know all this information as a counselor, adapting that in my own home, not as easy. You know, so I don't say this like I have all the answers that I'm doing perfectly in my own home. Now, this is things that we all struggle with. But really, I want an opportunity for my kids, and this is what I try to help all families, is like, how, do you, how can you guys communicate better? That doesn't mean that you're gonna do this well all the time. But what are those little things that you can begin doing to foster um, conversations that allow for dialogue, that allow you to say yes to your kids? When your kid asks to go to a party and your quick answer is no, they're shut down. Instead, how do you say yes, but with parameters? Yes, I want you to go to that party, but here's what I'm gonna need you to do before that happens. Kids are open to hearing yes. The moment you say no, there's no conversation happening. So when we talk about being yes parents, it's yes, usually this means something else. For Gabe, it means yes, you can have two friends stay the night, but we need the bathrooms clean, the dishwasher, <laughs> you know, there's a list, and he knows, he's like, what do you want me to do? I want a couple friends staying the night. Perfect, here's your list. Wow. But it's learning to say yes, but. Um, and there's just a lot of practical ways that you can help um, foster conversation with your kids that doesn't allow you um, to compromise. Because I think maybe some of you out there are thinking, it's like, yeah, right, you guys are just compromising on everything. And, I, and definitely not, you know, but I think there's ways where you can um, invite your kid or your teenager to be part of the parenting process. And I think that's really what we want for our kids. Man, that is so money. Um, I want to let you up the hook, but I can't because I do have another question. Y you keep using tools. You're dropping gold <laughs> right now from this counselor perspective as a dad of a teenager. Um, well, multiple teenagers, but um, I, what are some, like, you're a counselor. 
Give me some of these practical tools. There's ways that you think and approach conversations that are different from the normal person. I, th I think first of all is, is just giving yourself a little bit of time. Um, as a parent coming home from work, you know, you're thinking about all the, just the craziness at work or whatever that looks like. And just giving yourself a few minutes before you walk in that door. Maybe that just means I'm sitting outside in my car in the driveway and texting my wife. It's like, give me 10 minutes. I'm going to sit on the car. I'm just going to listen to sports radio for a minute. I'm just going to turn on some music. And to be able to walk in the house, leaving all of that work stuff at the office or in your car, and to be able to come home and just set a culture for your family that says, I'm present, I'm here. You know, it's connecting with your wife for a few moments emotionally. It's connecting with your kids, making eye contact, not just turning on the TV or whatever it is. It's just being present. Wow. Um, that's huge. And then your kids over time begin to see that. They see the change. When I talked about our kids are more emotionally intelligent than we give them credit for, kids will quickly respond to that. They know that it's okay to come up to dad or mom and say, hey, they're in a good place. I can ask them a question about tonight. Or I can ask them a question about having some friends over for the weekend or about going to that party or whatever it may be. And then from there, it's, it's really learning how to communicate with your kids. That Because the reality, if a kid's... Teenagers don't always communicate the most effectively. <laughs> Are you <laughs> sure about that? As a youth I pastor, so. I don't know. <laughs> I think they've got it figured out. Yeah. So it is our job <laughs> to adapt and say, how do I create an opportunity to have dialogue with my, with my teenager? And there's some simple, simple ways that you can do that and just the way that you conversate with them. When they ask you a question, make it more than just a yes or no. Mm, okay. Make it, hey, I want to go to that party on Friday night. Is there any way that you could drop me off or that can we borrow the car or whatever it is? It's like, um, why don't you tell me a little bit more about that party? Okay. <laughs> it's beyond more than just a yes or no. And getting them to conversate more can often get them um, thinking more about like, well, um, I'm not sure who's going to be there. Maybe I should look into that a little bit more. Okay, great. Why don't you go find out the details of that and come back and we can have a conversation about it over dinner. Um, oftentimes, as parents, we want to quickly give advice <laughs> to our kids, tell them why they shouldn't do something, or when I was your age, I was doing this, that, or the other. The moment you say that to kids, they're done, they're checked out. <laughs> But true. being able to talk with your kids and saying, hey, I have some thoughts about that. Are you interested in hearing them? Mm. That's an invitation. Well, no, I'm not. <laughs> okay, that's fine. But oftentimes they're going to say, yeah, sure, whatever. And then at least it keeps the conversation going. And it allows for an invitation for them to ask more questions. But the moment you just start talking, they're checked out. Wow, so it's really just learning these little, little tips and just changing the way that you ask certain things. And like I said, Julie, or me and Julie talked about is learning to say yes. It really is. It's, it's, um, it's validating some of those things that they're going through, you know. That sounds really hard, whatever situation they're going through. And learning to help, and learning um, your kids and validating, like, man, that sounds really tough, but it sounds like you've got that figured out. Wow. Yeah, I do, Mom. Thanks. Or, hey, that's a great opportunity when you say, hey, that sounds really tough. 
I've experienced something similar, would you be interested in hearing what I did during that time? Those are just some real practical ways of just changing the interaction with your loved one or with your kid or even with your wife sometimes or with your spouse that allows for those conversations to happen. I'm definitely noticing some of those carryovers yeah. from this works in marriage. This is human yeah. uh, interaction tools. Yeah. This is relational intelligence. Uh, really, really good. Um, and if you don't mind, I'd love to kind of hear about um, your thoughts as a teacher because those are different as well. Yeah. Um, you've read a lot. You've taught for 17 years. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, two things come to mind. Um, one is there, uh, there's a practice called backwards design or universal design in education. And it's really like planning with the end in mind. And I feel like I was, I've been doing that with my kids without maybe even realizing it, but like, what kind of adult do I want my kids to be? Like, that's the big question. Right. And then like, you plan back from there of like, how, well, how do you get there? Right. Well, the big way to get there in, uh, in teaching always starts with relationships. Um, and I think you'll hear any good teacher say that relationships are the most important part of teaching. Um, and I think that that plays out in parenting too, um, especially as the kids get older and um, you're not as big of a role in their life, but you want to be but they don't want you to be, <laughs> you know, that's when it can get hard. I was like, cause you're, you're getting, your role is getting diminished, but you're trying to cling on to it cause you're their mom, right? Um, it's about like, well, how do I keep the relationship going, but letting it, how do I adapt? How, how willing am I to adapt to um, continue to show my kid, you know, that I'm interested in what they're interested in. Like when I have seventh graders come to me and want to talk to me about Pokemon and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> Okay, I don't know anything. I don't like book, but you're like, yes, let's talk about it. You know, like you have to find those connection points as a teacher, obviously, but like as a parent too. You know, I know like our, uh, Gabe, not so much anymore, but like Leighton, he's so into Fortnite. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, if I hear the word Fortnite one more time, oh I'm going to freak out. Right? I but feel it, heard right now. But I it's know. like, okay, I'm going to put that to the side. And I might not like Fortnite, but my kid loves it. Mm -hmm. So I have to find ways to connect with him on that. Okay, I'm gonna try to play Fortnite. It was terrible. I'm not gonna play Fortnite. But like, okay, but we've kept that going where he wants to come in and talk to me about Fortnite. He wants to share with me about Fortnite. And I see that as him saying, I wanna connect with you, right? And it's like that relationship just has to keep evolving and adapting. Um, I think so many parents just kind of shut their kids down unintentionally because maybe they're not interested or maybe, you know, they don't always see eye to eye. And so instead of like, I don't know, putting yourself to the side and being like, I'm gonna continue to find connecting points here with my kid before they're, you know, out on their own, um, then, then you can like not close the door on that relationship. And I don't think people do it intentionally. You know, I really don't. I mean, just like teachers, you know, t you get so busy, you get so wrapped up. And I don't think there's there's teachers who maybe don't connect as well relationally. I don't think they do it intentionally. I think it's like so much going on, you know, and parents are like that too. So you have to be really intentional about like finding those connecting points, especially as your kids get older. Oh my gosh, this is so money. And I, I just want to point out what you said. And um, th this is what you're saying. Like as a teacher, you have to be intentional about engaging 
those kids where they're at with their interests, even though you don't like it. Or yeah. Um, and that's that's like youth ministry one on one. It's like, oh man, I know you don't like Fortnite. That's why we picked you because we don't want leaders that are just on Fortnite all day. <laughs> yeah. But they do. Yeah. And so what you're saying is that carries over into the home. Yeah. And it's not that we do it actively. This whole shutting our kids down. And my wife's going to convict me after hearing this podcast. She listens to all of them. Um, it, but what, what it is, is it's that we're not being intentional about engaging with those things. And so yeah. as a teacher, you see that. But as a parent, we don't even realize that we're doing it. Yeah. And that is the, that's so money right there. So thanks for uh, getting me in trouble. Yeah. But um, <laughs> this is, these are very helpful and healing tools. Um, this has been so so refreshing and so good. Are there any last kind of parting ideas that you guys want us to walk away with? Um, I think I would, I think mine would just be is, is parent with the end in mind and meaning what is the end goal of your role as a parent? And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, it's really to make a disciple of Jesus. So mm-hmm. everything that we say and everything that we do, which if you do a little self-reflection can be really scary to think about <laughs> that everything I say and everything I do is a direct reflection on what my kid thinks about in regards to their relationship with Jesus. And so just kind of keeping that in the back of your mind, like the end result of what my kid's 15, he's going to be 18. That terrifies me. <laughs> I have three years to figure out how to make him a disciple of Jesus or at least point him in that direction and he's going to have to make that decision but I better have done everything I can to point him in that direction and just being mindful of the end the end in the end result of what my role is a parent yeah and I mean I think Andre's dad said this to him all the time growing up and um it's really stuck with me about just the idea of you know our goal for our kids should be that they will take the faith and make it their own and um I just feel like that kind of encompasses everything we've been saying about them being owners too, about like, you know, um, in all aspects of parenting uh, is just the idea of that we want them to, to take who we are and how our family is, the failures, the successes, the good, the bad, the ugly, but like we want them to be their own person, right? And understand that everything that they do is for their future. It's, it's their life. You know, we're not, it's, we're a family and we all are living our own life, you know, obviously in the same house for now, but not for much longer, you know? So, yeah. Oh my gosh. You guys have uh, really imparted some wisdom, really helpful stuff. Um, I super appreciate you guys just as leaders in our church, but also as parents and uh, a life season that I'm looking forward to. Um, And I think a lot of parents who are moving towards having teen kids or, who currently have teen kids or in the trenches are going to really appreciate this. So thanks so much for your guys' time. Yeah, you know, having teens can be scary sounding, but man, it's so fun. It's fun. It's fun. And it's it's a joy. I mean, every stage of parenting is a joy. And I remember being like, oh, I'm so scared to have teenagers. But it's like, you just roll with it and you all just grow together. And it's it's fun. Oh, I so, love it. Yeah. Well, thanks again, guys. Yeah, thanks Thank for you. having us. Man, I am so grateful that Julie and Andre took the time to uh, join me for this podcast. Um, what is your big takeaway? What can you walk away with and say, man, that really sunk in or that really spoke to me? 
I encourage you to really spend some time maybe talking with your spouse or thinking through and taking notes what it was that stood out to you from this really balanced perspective of how to parent. Uh, parent. For me, it was uh, avoiding the um, kind of trap of authoritarianism as well as the trap on the opposite end of the spectrum of just being your kid's best friend. I'm not raising teenagers, but I think that applies even to youth ministry in this season, and I look forward to those days uh, when I can hopefully parent in a balanced way. We love you. We're always praying for you. Um, this is the Parent Podcast. Thanks for listening.